welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. Thank you, uh, brother, for um, for leading us there, and brother Jake and ladies, as always, for playing and faithfully leading us to worship our Lord. Uh, today, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and as you are turning there, I do have a thank you card I'd like to read. Uh, um, dear church, thank you so much for the overflowing love and encouragement. You have shown me ever since me and my family moved here. I'm so blessed to have an encouraging church family, amazing church family. Thank you for the Bible and the lunch afterwards uh, and for teaching me to give all the glory to God. Thank you, Robert S. McCoy III. So um, thank you, Carl from Trey. And uh, again, thank you, church, for all that you have done. Um, if you will, find Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1. I'll ask you if you're willing and able to please stand with your Bibles in honor and in reverence of God's holy word. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dwelt, dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness let us pray heavenly father we do love you and thank you for the grace and mercy that you never run out of and god today we are asking that god you would continue to move in our presence today we thank you for the time that we have had in singing and praising you uh, and the special music and the prayers that have been lifted up to now read your word and preach it. We're asking that, God, you'd move in a mighty way among us today. We're asking that you would bind and gag any demonic spirit that would want to cause any kind of confusion or chaos today, Lord. That, Lord, may our focus and attention be upon you and what you have to say to your church. I pray, Lord, today, if there's anybody here who is lost, who does not know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit today would convict them of their lostness, show them they need you more than anything else. And God, today, I pray you'd save their soul before it's too late. 
Oh, God, I pray today that you'd move in such a way that we would leave this place saying it was good to be in your house. I pray we leave this place in more of awe of you, Lord, more in love with you, Lord, than we've ever been. Oh, God, I pray today that everything that takes place would, would point people to you and you'd receive all the glory from it. I ask now that I would decrease and you increase, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Church, today as we look in Romans chapter 12, I want to feel led to begin a, a series this morning, just a three-part series on serving. Uh, as a child of God, we are saved to serve the Lord. This next few weeks, Lord willing, we'll be looking at some of the New Testament passages that deal with serving and serving the Lord and, and, and the purpose for which he has saved us for. Today in particular, I really want to look at spiritual gifts. Uh, today in the passage that I just read, we see sort of a, a summarization of spiritual gifts that I believe are in practice today. Now, Paul will address these gifts a little differently in Romans than he did in 1 Corinthians that we just got through. If you remember in the book of Corinthians, Paul had a great deal to say about spiritual gifts. And the main reason why it appears that they were confused uh, and were abusing how the spiritual gifts were to be practiced. And he has a great deal to say about that. When we come to Romans, he doesn't say quite as much about that. It's almost as if he is trying to get the Romans to start using their spiritual gifts. The Corinthians may have been using them the wrong way, but they were at least doing something. And it appears that the Romans needed to get engaged in doing what they should be doing. Now this morning, we're going to attempt to look at the, the why, the who, and the ways when it comes to spiritual gifts. Again, this sermon will not cover everything you can on spiritual gifts, but hopefully it, it will help us in our study here about serving. The first thing I want you to notice in verses 1 and 2 of this passage here is the why uh, of service. The why of service. Why do we need to use these spiritual gifts? Uh, notice with me in verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you. That word beseech, it, it, it is a word where he is encouraging them to do something. He's coming alongside and challenging them to do something. It's much like when, when uh, Brother David is running his marathons and Miss Tina is on the side of that cup of water cheering him on as, as he runs by. That's the picture that we have here of this word beseech. He is challenging the church at Rome. He says, I beseech you therefore... Brethren, The word therefore ties back to what he said in the first 11 chapters. In those 11 chapters, many believe is Paul's crown jewel of his writing. Uh, the book of Romans is so full of doctrine and, and, and teaching that it, it describes uh, uh, the doctrine of sin and salvation and sanctification. And, and it has all of those things. And, and Paul says, because of all those things, brethren, the church... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Because of what he has just said to the church of the living God and by the mercies of God. Now, when we think about the mercies of God, what we are describing is God not giving us what we deserve. And if you are here today and you are a child of the living God, you have received the mercy of God in that we have been saved when we did not deserve it. 
One of the most important truths that every child of God must understand, if we're going to understand the gospel, is that God didn't have to save us. God could have been God just as fine in heaven with or without us, but he chose to to show mercy to us by not giving us what we deserve. As sinners, we deserve hell, separation from God. But as a Christian, excuse me, we have received the mercies of God in that he has redeemed us and saved us. We don't have to take on the wrath of God because Jesus took it for us. It is a humbling thing to think about what happened at the cross at Calvary. It is a humbling thing to think about all of God's anger, His wrath being put together and put on one person. And it was Jesus Christ. He took my hell for me. There's a reason why we gather and we worship Him today because of the mercies. And He says not just one, but many mercies. God has over and over again shown mercy to us. Many times we miss those acts of mercy. Many times we think we're entitled to those mercies, but we're not. And that's what makes it the mercy of God. So he says here, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. That word present is the same word we find uh, many times in the Old Testament referring to offering a sacrifice. When people went to the temple, they went to the tabernacle, they didn't go empty-handed. They always brought something when they came. An animal or something to sacrifice. Here, that's the word of the, the picture of the word present. It means to offer, notice what, not an animal sacrifice, not anything else. And he says, but our bodies. Jesus Christ put an end to animal sacrifices. He fulfilled the law. The Bible says that we are to die to self and we are to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he says we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Because of God's mercy, I am to do everything I do for His glory. I am to live for Him. Because of all that He has done, uh, the word living sacrifice means I'm dying to self and I'm living for Him. I shared it a few weeks ago when we were talking about our, our graduates. We should never encourage graduates to follow their heart and do what they want to do. We should always encourage them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To follow God's word and God's will for their life. God created them. If God saved them, he has a plan and purpose. And the only way for them to have true joy and contentment is following God. Being a living sacrifice. Jesus throughout the gospels tell us to take up the cross and follow him. To take up the cross means to die to self and to follow him wherever he leads. He next we see this word, a living sacrifice, that is holy. That word holy means set apart. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there are some who believe that the uh, the Pope and that a group of cardinals get together and they decide who a saint is. The New Testament tells us very clearly who a saint is. A saint is someone who has been saved. If you've been saved, you've been set apart for God. That word holy in the Old Testament meant it was set apart for God's use. There were certain instruments that could only be used at the tabernacle. They could only be used at the temple. Couldn't be used for anything else. To use them any other way was to defile them. They were to be used only for God. And what Paul is saying, listen, because of all that God has done, because of his mercies that he's shown to us, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is wholly set apart for God, acceptable to him. What we need to understand, church, is that God has not left it up to us to figure out how to live our lives. Has he not given us his word? He has given us direction right here in His Word. What is acceptable to God and what's not? Because let me tell you something. There are some things that are not acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, when they brought the lame sacrifices, when they brought the blind sacrifices, when they brought the leftovers, God says, I've had enough of this. Somebody just shut down the temple if all you're going to bring me is the leftovers. 
God desires the very best that we have. When they took in a harvest, they didn't bring in what was the, the, the last part of the field. They brought in the first fruits of the field. God always got the best. And as believers, because of the mercies of God, we ought to serve Him because that's what He wants. The very best, we should give it to Him. Notice He says here, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That, that, that phrase means it's only logical. That's what it means. It only makes sense that I should give God my very best, the best that He wants, not what your pastor wants, not what your parents want, not what the world tells you is good enough, but what God's Word says is. He said, when you do it, what is logical? It only makes sense. Think about this, church. Do you think God would send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross at Calvary, to take your hell, to go through what He went through, to become what He hated, just so you could get saved and do nothing? Does it, is it logical? Does it make any sense? No. What we see in the New Testament that God has saved us so that we might, He might use us to bring glory to His name. That His kingdom might grow and expand and that He might receive glory. He said this only reasonable, logical. Why? Because of the mercies of God, but also because it's the will of God. Notice it says here in verse 2, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let this world squeeze you into its box. This world will tell you that, listen, here's what you need to make you happy. This is what you have to do. This is the status you have to reach. The world will tell you all those things. He's saying, don't be conformed to it. Don't let it squeeze you into this box. He says here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to be transformed. We are to be changing. Uh, The Bible refers to it as sanctification. You see, church, when we get saved, we cannot get any more saved than when we got saved. You can't get any more saveder. And and you know the old joke, bad English, but good theology. You can't get any saveder than that. But understand this. That is not the end when you get baptized. It is simply the beginning. From there until the time you meet Him in glory, He is constantly sanctifying you for His use and His purpose, conforming you to the image of His Son. That's the plan. He saved you from hell and spends the rest of your life getting all that hell out of you. That's how I've heard it best described. God is constantly molding us to shape us. That's what he said in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Three glorious chapters on sanctification. Why? So that we might be like Jesus Christ. He's saying you don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? It is renewed when you get in the word of God. I believe Brother Aaron was sharing Sunday night a, a quote from Robbie Gadley. He says, uh, get in the word till the word gets into you. You ought to be studying the Word of God so much that when you draw near to sin, Scripture comes to your mind. That the Holy Spirit can bring it to your remembrance. But if you've never been in the Word of God, it won't be there. God's just not going to screw your head off and pour it in there. You're going to have to invest the time to get in the Word of God. That's why the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over and over again tells us to study and to meditate on the Word of God. Because when you do, it changes your mindset. You begin to see things the way God sees them instead of the way this world sees them or the way you see them. We live in a day and time when many Christians simply have no discernment. They, have, they don't have a biblical worldview. There's many Christians today, I saw one study where about 40% of the Christians in the United States believe in reincarnation. Good night. Folks, I'm here to tell you, the Bible makes it very clear. There is only one way to heaven. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Through faith alone. 
The Bible makes it very clear. When you die, then the judgment. There is no purgatory. There is no holdover. There is no reincarnation. There is no soul sleep. We need to make sure that we know the truth. And we live by that truth. We are to be renewing our mind through the word. Notice that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, God saved you. He had a plan and purpose for your life. The word prove here means to know through experience. I was sharing with my Sunday school class. They got a preview of today's message, which they do quite often, and they're really excited about that. But that word prove, it means to know through experience. There's a lot of people, they're scared to sell out to Jesus Christ because they're scared of where it may lead them. They're scared of what it's going to cost them. I got news for you. You sell out to Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. The cross, the cross in Jesus' day was an instrument of torture and death. And Jesus said, you need to voluntarily pick it up and follow me. That's why he said you got to love me more than your very life, more than your family. That's what the, that's what the gospel teaches here in the Word of God. We have this, this, this watered-down gospel that's being preached that, by people that think that, that following Christ won't demand anything out of you, and it will. It will. You are saved by the grace of God, not by your works. But understand, when you get saved, God will call you to a standard. Yes, he will. Read the New Testament. Read the Bible, and you'll see it. We see here that, that, that we may prove, both through experience, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we serve God, as we follow His Word and do what He says, we'll begin to see that God's will is perfect for our life. There, there are some people who would disagree with me on this, and that's okay. You can be wrong, but I, I believe that God has a perfect will and He has a permissive will. Uh, it's uh, my belief that that permissive will is that God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to repent. That's what the Bible says, but everybody's not going to repent. Because God gives them permission not to if they don't want to. I believe it was God's desire for that first group that came across the Red Sea to go into the promised land. He even said, send spies if you want to. It'll be just like I told you it was. And it was. And what did they do? They voted whether or not to follow the will of God. And what happened? They voted not to. And as a result, that generation died out. God gave them that opportunity if they wanted to. They could follow him or not. But man, when you get into God's word and you begin to do what he says, what you'll begin to see is that, listen, serving him, that's his perfect will for you. That's where you're going to find true joy, peace, and contentment in your life. It's going to be through following him. So why do we serve him? Why do we use those spiritual gifts? It's because of the mercies of God and for the will of God. But then we move on to verses 3 through 6. We see that uh, the who needs to be involved in sharing their spiritual gift. Uh, the who is found here in verses 3 through 6. He says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dwelt to dealt with each one a measure of faith. Again, the Apostle Paul reminds us through the grace given to him. We are saved by the grace of God and we are gifted by the grace of God. He says to everyone who is among you, to the whole church, not to think more highly than they ought to think of themselves. You know, as I studied that text, I've studied it for many years, uh, two things come to my mind when I think about what's going on there at that church. There were some at that church who probably thought they were indispensable, that the church had to have them. And what he's saying, don't think too highly of yourself. Uh, we are saved not because we're great people, or we're the most talented people, it's because of the grace of God. Amen? The God did not choose Israel because Israel was a great nation. He chose them because they were inferior to other nations. He chose to do it, and He chose to save you, and He chose to give you a spiritual gift. 
So he says, don't think too highly of yourself, but also don't think that you are so important that you don't need to serve. And there's too many believers, they think that's all they need to do is get saved, say a prayer, walk an aisle, get baptized, and they don't have to do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is simply not found in Scripture. It is not the truth in God's Word. We are saved to serve Him, to serve Him with everything that we possibly can so don't think that, that, that you don't have to. Don't think that you're too much. God, again, remember, he can replace any of us. It's all by the grace of God. He says to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. That word soberly is used in the Gospels when Jesus went across the shore of a lake and there was a man that came to meet him that had a legion full of demons inside of him. And Jesus cast those demons out, if you remember, went into a bunch of swine, and they all went down and drowned in the water, okay? And there's a whole lot to that particular sermon. But here's what I want you to notice. The Bible says after those demons left that man, he sat there soberly. He had been full of demons, and now he thought soberly. His mind was clear. To sit here and think that you are more important or that you don't have to do anything in the kingdom of God or serve, it is to think demonically, church. And you say, well, how'd you get to that jump, Brother Robert? Well, if God saved you to serve and you think you don't have to serve, well, I would say you're going against God. Who's against God? The devil is. It's demonic. We need to think soberly as he has dealt with us. Verse 4, he says, For as many, for we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I won't spend a lot of time on those verses because we, we walk through 1 Corinthians where Paul tells us that every person who is saved is part of the body of Christ. We each have different gifts and abilities and we each need each other. Uh, the Christian mission, the Great Commission, cannot be accomplished by one believer. Believers with different gifts and abilities come together. We need each other. There are things that I do well. There's a lot of things I don't do well. There are things you do well. There are things you don't do well. And we need each other so that we can carry out the mission of Christ. Much like in our bodies, we have all these different body parts and we need all those parts. Amen? Same thing in the body of Christ. So who needs to be serving is, is those who are in the body of Christ. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according, notice this, to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. As believers, we are called to to use the gifts that God has given us. I, again, I believe that according to Scripture that everyone has at least one spiritual gift. And I believe many people have multiple gifts. But those gifts that we have, we've been given to us by the grace of God. That means we did not deserve them. Did not deserve them. But yet God chose you and he gave you that gift or those gifts. Therefore, we are to use them. God calls believers to service. We see the, the why, the, the who, but I want you to notice the ways. Notice the, the, the ways that, we, that he lists here. And, I, and I'm almost done. Look here at, at the ways. as We move quickly through these verses. He says in the last part of verse 6, If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Uh, this term prophecy, as we've already covered in 1 Corinthians, has a very broad meaning. 
Many times the context determines that we can see what he's talking about. Sometimes it refers to predicting something. Uh, many times it refers to, uh, in the New Testament sometimes, as a person before the completed word of God getting a word from God and proclaiming that truth. But the word literally means to speak forth. It can also be translated preaching. It can also be translated proclaiming the word of God. It, it means to instruct and to admonish someone, to warn or rebuke. It means to take God's message and to get it out so that people can be instructed. And if people need to be rebuked, then rebuked. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. In the previous chapter in 2 Timothy, he tells them that the word of God is sufficient for all those things. Um, proclaiming the God's word. I'm so glad that we have a completed word of God here today. Amen. I, I know today if someone's preaching the truth because I see if it matches up with what the Bible says. And here he talks about this prophecy or this preaching. It should be done in, in proportion to our faith. Again, the preaching, the prophesying is to be in accordance with what God has given, not what man has given. There's a difference, amen? If you've got a study Bible, most likely your study Bible at the top will have the scripture. And then there's usually a line underneath that you'll have commentary and helps. That line is a big deal. Because above that line is what God said. Below is what man said. Okay, When it comes to proclaiming the word, we need to be proclaiming God's word. The church is not a self-help center. Amen. It is to be a place where the word of God is proclaimed. The one great need that everyone has is the gospel. And the power of the gospel to change, to heal, to, to save and it needs to be proclaimed. He says, the proportion of faith in which you've been given. Again, there is a great danger for someone to be someone that they're not. Most preachers have that struggle. I know that I've had that struggle. I, that there is a, there's a, a local young man. I remember when, I, when I've seen him preach, he, he does things with his hands that he doesn't usually do with his, when you're just talking to him. And I couldn't figure out why is he directing planes up there? What's he doing? And then I saw one of his heroes preach, and now I know why he does that. He's been watching his hero probably too much on YouTube, and all of a sudden he does that. Hey, I've done the same thing. I, uh, some of y'all may not remember this, but, but music used to be on cassette tapes. Y'all remember? And the kid's like, what's that, Daddy? Just tell your kids about it. Look it up on the Internet. But I would get a tape of the month from, from one of my heroes, Sam Cathy. Sam Cathy, when I met him, was 70 years old, Okay. He's already going to be with Jesus now, but this man in his 70s, people say who have heard him for decades, he was preaching harder in his 70s than he ever had when he was younger. And I would get his tape of the month, and I would, at the time I was living in Tipton and driving to Ashburn to preach, and a lot of times I'd put in that tape and I'd listen to Sam Cathy preach. The only problem is Sam Cathy was in his 70s. Sam Cathy preached a lot different than Robert McCoy did in his 30s. Sam Cathy called you an idiot in a minute. <laughs> he had a little more, he had a little more, uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? He had a little more reputation. Uh, he had, he, he had the, <clears throat> the reputation he could do that. And I remember I caught myself. I think Mindy highlighted the fact that I got up and I, I called the congregation stupid about three times in one sermon. That's what Sam Cathy called them. 
And then I realized God's not calling me to be Sam Cathy. He's calling me to be Robert McCoy. And you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. You just have to be who God's called you to be in this ministry. I realize he already has one of those. He just needs me to be who God's called me to be. He says when it comes to ministry, let us use it. to Now, our ministry, that word uh, for ministry there, it, it means a service, more of a hands-on practical thing. It can involve cooking. It can involve preparing or cleaning or, or, or repairing or anything like that. It's, it's more of the hands. It's more of a practical type ministry or spiritual gift. There are those who are really gifted in that area. And then it says he who teaches and, and teaching. When we think about teaching here, it's the gift of teaching the word of God. We have many gifted teachers who teach in our school system and, and they've been to school and they, they know how to do that and they're gifted, but that doesn't mean they've been given the biblical gift of teaching. They may have been, but this gift can be given to someone who has a college degree or someone who did not even finish the eighth grade. God has given them. In, in Acts chapter 4, we read that the apostles, when the, the Pharisees arrested them, they said, listen, here is a group of people that have not been educated. We know that. But you know what they said about them? We could tell they've been with Jesus. We could tell they've been with Jesus. Uh, the, the spiritual gift of teaching, then teach. Then he says exhortation. Uh, he who exhorts with, with an exhortation. This means to uh, encourage, to come alongside and encourage. It's the same as that word beseech earlier. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, one of the main reasons why we gather in church is to encourage one another. Not to complain to one another, but to encourage one another. That's why corporate worship, what we're doing today, is so important. Coming together to worship God and encourage each other. That's why Sunday school is so important. We come together in a smaller group and we encourage each other. And D groups, we get even smaller groups and we hold each other accountable and we encourage them in their walk with God. It is so vital that we encourage each other. We live in a world where that is going to hell. We live in a country that is going to hell as the church of the living God. We're called to be a light in this darkness and we need to encourage each other. He says, he who gives with liberality. I can't say that word. So I'm sorry if you're sitting there thinking, I wish you could say that word the right way. I just can't. I know what it means, but I can't pronounce it. I've tried. I had the Bible on my phone and I would listen to it and, and my mouth doesn't work right. I can't say the word. I apologize. But it's not the only word I can't pronounce in this book. And y'all know. So quit you laughing. The word means to give with simplicity or sincerity. With uprightness and generosity. The root word there, it, it carries the idea of not looking back at yourself. It, it means to, to just give without looking back in regret. Giving with no strings attached. Not wanting to be rewarded for it. I get so sick and tired of the church when, when folks feel like they need to be rewarded for doing what God calls them to do. Isn't that ridiculous? Now, folks, I, again, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I know a lot of churches, they'll sell everything under the sun to pay for stuff. I, I, I'm convinced in the Word of God, the Bible tells me, if there's a need and I can meet the need, I meet the need. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. I don't need to get a reward for it. I just need to do it. That's what the Bible teaches me to do. And that's what this giving is all about. It's just simply giving. And we should all give, but here some are better at it than others. Then it says here, leading. He who leads with diligence. 
uh, that could be translated administration or, or ruling. We need to be very careful because we're all the same at the cross. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. When it talks about leading here, it simply means getting stuff done, organizing people and getting stuff done. Some have that gift and, and others don't. Some need to be in, in the background and they serve better there. Others can serve out front. And, and here, whoever does that up front needs to do it with diligence. That means a faithfulness, a speed, a zeal, an eagerness to serve God. I'm telling you, church, I've been so burdened. I've been so burdened about just just wanting to serve God. Can I ask you a question today? I'm just going to interrupt my message real quick. Do you get excited about serving God in the capacity that he has called you to serve? It should not be done grudgingly. I mean, if you're saved and you're doing using the gifts that God's given you, you ought to be excited about it. You ought not be able to wait till you can do it again. And we got people that well, can't find nobody else. I might get in there and maybe I'll do it. But see if you can find somebody else first. <laughs> oh my goodness. If, if you're not going to do it with a zeal, just don't do it. And I know the nominate committee is, is, is having a panic attack right now. But I'm just going to tell you, if you're not going to do it with a zeal and a love for God, just don't do it. You know, let me tell you, I'm telling you, God has been too good to you for you not to give him his best, your best. And if you're not, you're going to pitch you a little fit. You're going to do your own. You, you do your own little thing. I'm telling you, God can do a whole lot more without you than with you. Make no mistake. God don't need us. So anyway, we, we need to, to do it with diligence. And then he says, show mercy with cheerfulness. The word uh, uh, mercy here is giving what we don't, not giving us what we deserve. So many people demand justice. I don't want justice. I want mercy. I want mercy. I want mercy. I want the mercy of God. I want the grace of God. And if you've experienced the mercy and grace of God, you'll show it to others. But if you've never been experienced it, and that's why it's so important for us to understand, we don't deserve heaven and we don't deserve the goodness of God until we get a hold of our lostness, we'll never appreciate the grace of God. We'll never understand mercy and we will be slow to give it. Here, do it with cheerfulness. That word cheerfulness is the same word we get our English word for hilarious. It means to do it with an excitement that you cannot control generosity, zeal, cheerfulness. These are attitudes that, that underlie the actions that we as children of God should be taking as we serve God. When you think about uh, this preaching, y'all remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah, as best we can tell, might have had one convert. In over 40 years of ministry, he got so tired of being thrown into jail for preaching the word of God, he got so discouraged that I'm not even going to say his name again. And you know what he said happened to him? His bones began to burn. There was something inside of him that had to get out. And he had to preach the word. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 16, the household of Stephanus, they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Literally, they addicted themselves to it. They couldn't control themselves. They had to minister. That's how God wired them. And they gave God their very best. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, a man named Joseph is going around. He's helping everybody and encouraging them. I mean, Joseph, that guy, when you saw him in Walmart, you made sure you went and saw him. Because y'all all know those people that you avoid in Walmart. You didn't avoid this, this guy. And when he saw him, he was such an encourager. They said, listen, if encouragement had a son, it'd be you. And they named him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Church as believers, we... Because of the mercies of God, the why do we serve? Why do we use our spiritual gifts? Because of what God's done for us. Who is to be doing this service? Who's to be practicing their spiritual gifts? It is to be believers, those who have enjoyed the grace of God. 
and how, what are the ways we should be doing it? Here's the gifts and here's the attitudes in which we are to be doing it with. Because we've experienced the grace of God when it comes to serving and using our spiritual gifts. You may be asking yourself, well, Brother Robert, well, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Dr. Larry Gilbert suggests seven things to do to find out your spiritual gift real quickly. And if you don't write them all down, I can send them to you later. First thing you need to do is pray. Pray. Ask God to show you what your spiritual gift is. I'm convinced that God Almighty, when he saved you, had a plan on how to use your life. He's not going to keep it a secret from you. If you are serious about doing it, he will show you. Pray. Secondly, examine and study the spiritual gifts. Study them. See what is involved in these spiritual gifts and what do they mean. Thirdly, you can take a, a gift survey. Some of those things can be helpful, some of them not so much, but again, it could be a way to help you. Fourthly, find a more mature believer to help you through this process. Find someone who's been walking with God for a while, who practices their spiritual gifts to help you. Fifth, focus on the gifts that you do have, not the ones that you don't. You, 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 God may give you multiple gifts and there may be some things that you want to do that God's just not called you to do. If he ain't called you to do it, don't worry about it. Do what he has called you to do. Focus on what is obvious. Six, start serving. There's a lot of people, they've been praying for years about what they need to be doing. Well, maybe you just need to get involved in something. You'll find out pretty quick where your gift is and not. And then lastly, look for what gives you that joy and that peace. Look what gives you that satisfaction in serving God. Because the way God has wired you is the only way that you're going to have true peace and true contentment. You see, today, as we come to the end of this message, the invitation is really twofold. Really is, today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. You see, if left to yourself, you'll die and you'll go to hell one day and there'll be nothing anybody can do for you. You're a sinner by birth and by choice. That's what the Bible says. And you know that already. Because the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in order to be saved, you must, A, admit to God that you're a sinner, and we all are. I am, so are you. And you have to admit that fact. See, a lot of people think they're good enough to get into heaven because they compare themselves to somebody else. And you're not compared to anybody but Jesus. And when that happens, you fall short. Therefore, you must admit that you're a sinner and repent of that sin. The word repent means more than being sorry about it. It means stop doing it. The very first sermon Jesus ever preached was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance has always been at the core of the gospel message and gospel preaching. You must be willing to turn away from your sin. And B, you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because only the Son of God can save you. You must believe and trust in the fact that when He died on the cross at Calvary, He didn't die for part of your sin. He died for all of your sin. You're trusting in the completed work of Jesus Christ, not Jesus plus anything else. It's Christ and Christ alone. And you've got to believe that God raised Him from the dead. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But I got good news today. He came out alive. We celebrate that today. We celebrate on Easter, and we celebrate it every day. Our Savior's alive. But then see, you must confess him as your Savior and Lord. To confess him as Savior and Lord is simply to pray and ask Christ to come into your life and save you. And the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but you've got to believe and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. See, don't miss that word Lord because you'll miss the gospel. Everybody wants fire insurance, but they don't want lordship. And Jesus is called Lord over a hundred more times than he's called Savior in the New Testament. That means he's the boss, ruler, master of my life. When you get saved, you give your life to Christ. He, therefore, is who you live for.
just like we see here, it's the only logical and reasonable answer to what we should do according to the, the New Testament. So today, if you need to be saved, I'm going to be right down front there. Brother Aaron's going to be right there. If you need someone to pray with you or if you've got any questions about your salvation, we can get them settled today. We can get them settled today. If you've got any doubts, we can get them settled today. God never wanted you to doubt your salvation. He wrote 1 John, 1 John so that you might know that you have eternal life. So you can know today. Now you may be hearing a child of God. If you were to be honest, you're not serving God with the, with the veracity, with the zeal, and the devotion that the scriptures teach that we should be doing it with. And if that's the case, you know. I don't know. You know. And if that's something you need to get right with, need to get right with God about today, I pray that you will. Whether it be at this altar or in your seat where you're at, get right with him. Do what he saved you to do, and then you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding. Because you simply cannot get it outside of his will. He has not designed you to be happy outside of his will. He's only designed for true happiness to be there. Whatever God is calling you to do, you do it in this invitation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for who you are. A mighty God who saves. God, today I pray that all over this room, if there's anybody here who is lost, may your Holy Spirit convict them of that lostness right now. I pray that your spirit has been convicting them. I pray that you not give them a peace or an ease until they get it settled with you today. Oh God, I pray that you bring conviction and show them. Oh God, today would they turn to you for salvation. I'm so thankful that Lord, today you tell us if we'll just turn to you, we can be saved. Oh God, would that happen today? God, today as believers, help us Lord to give everything we possibly can to the service of your kingdom. No matter where you've called us and no matter what you've called us to, we know that we are to give our very best because we could never outgive you. We could never give you what's worthy of what you've done for us by taking that hell for us. Oh, God, today would you move in the life of every one of your children. And if they are serving faithfully, God, I pray that you would encourage them, Lord, today to keep on keeping on. But if not, may you convict them to begin doing that, Lord, I pray. Whatever it is you've called them to, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I surrender all.